This is the Humboldt Chronicles. I am the queen of everything. I gotta be high before I can sway. Lighter tea and let it be. If you a viper. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask and Comet the Radio Dog. The Humboldt Chronicles is made possible by Savage Henry Comedy Club and Goat Global Humboldt. Much appreciation for your support of the Humboldt Chronicles. This is the 47th episode of the Humboldt Chronicles, and in this edition... Chuck, yes, uh, this is not just the 47th edition of the Chronicles. It's something else. It's a very special milestone. This, my friend, is our fourth anniversary show. Wow. Episode number Yay. one, yeah. Give it up. Episode number one of the Chronicles was broadcast on October 18th, way back in 2017. That was, as you recall, after the passage of mm-hmm. Prop 64, but a few months before it was implemented. I see no confetti falling from the ceiling. I see no balloons. Oh, we're, we're celebrating LCCI style. I see. All right. You know, it hardly seems like four years. Happy anniversary and a big thanks to all the sponsors, too, and especially the listeners who have made this show possible over the years. We should also mention that every episode is available for downloading at 941lounge.com if anyone wants to relive all the magic. For today's show, we're going to start with a look at a survey of Northern California cannabis cultivators that was recently concluded. As we'll hear, the survey was conducted by the Center for the Study of Cannabis and Policy, along with Cooperation Humboldt. The results of the study were released in a document titled, Corporate Cannabis is Here. Farmers, are you ready? Yeah, and I think underlying the survey is a a premise that one strategy Humboldt's small craft cultivators might use to compete with large, well-funded corporate organizations is through the formation of and participation in cooperatives. So tonight's episode, will explore themes around that idea. Our guests tonight are Nicole Riggs of marketing agency Manifesto Synergies. Nicole is also affiliate researcher at the Center for the Study of Cannabis and Policy, and she helped prepare and conduct the survey we'll be discussing. Also joining us tonight is Drew Barber, who's a craft cannabis cultivator in the Matol Valley, and a member of the Uplift Co-op. I'm really excited to get to this topic tonight. This comes up over the last four years many, many times. So first to the survey itself. Here's Nicole Riggs discussing the design of the survey and how the responses were collected. The survey was designed uh, by the Cooperative Cannabis Economy Group, which is uh, housed uh, at Cooperation Humboldt. It was designed by the group together. We defined what questions would be asked. And then um, the survey was sent uh, and distributed by several of us from that working group, uh, the Cooperative Cannabis Economy Group. The survey findings were then uh, analyzed by the Center for the Study of Cannabis and Social Policy, by myself, as well as by the Executive Director, Dominic Corva, um, and by the Senior Researcher, Tony Silvaggio. And Nicole, what was the motivation for conducting the survey in the first place? What was the intent behind it? We had an assumption that there was a desire for for cooperatives among the farmers on the North Coast, and we wanted to test this assumption. And so we uh, put out the survey asking just seven questions, uh, and one of them was, uh, is there an interest for cooperatives? And that enabled us to see if our assumption was correct. 
um, and the survey revealed that 85.6% of the respondents were interested in uh, being supported to develop cooperatives. Over what time period was it conducted? So the survey ran from August 6 to September 12, and we had 82 responses. How were the responses collected? The uh, responses were collected on a form, so the survey was sent uh in several ways, and uh, they, it was first of all printed with a QR code, and we distributed it to dozens of supply stores throughout Humboldt. And then we also reached out to organizations like HCGA and Origins Council and several others so that they would uh, share the survey. And there was always a link to the form, and so we had the survey results in a form. Were there any eligibility requirements for being able to respond to the survey? Yes. Uh, we were looking for responses from the north coast of California, which included uh, Trinity County, Mendocino County, uh, even Nevada County and Humboldt County. And uh, we wanted to get responses from cultivators specifically. And Nicole, I think you said you had uh, 80-some responses uh, that you received. What what were the findings overall? So there was a couple of findings that were really uh, revealing for us. The first finding was that, again, 85.6% of the respondents were interested in being supported to develop cooperatives. That is a huge number. The second meaningful finding was that we found there were three areas of challenge to farmers, and those areas are that the prices are too low, the costs are too high, and there's a lack of access to market. As I read over the, the, the findings, it talked about a phase two of this project, and I was hoping you could uh, tell us what phase two might look like. Yes, yeah, so this is exciting. Now that we have the survey findings and that we have uh, indeed confirmed the assumption that farmers here on the North Coast would like support to develop cooperatives, we're now digging deeper with farmer interviews to imagine what an ideal co-op would look like. Uh, it's a bit like asking farmers what, if anything, were possible. This is the second phase, and simultaneously we're beginning to get advice from legal experts on how regulations can empower or disempower farmers from forming cooperatives. And we want to listen to the answers from the farmers and from the legal experts, and then we'll analyze these findings so that we can identify the themes that might be emerging. And Drew, since you're already involved in the uh, Matol Uplift Co-op, does what you hear from other cultivators uh, that you speak with and have been involved with mirror the findings of this survey? Yeah, I'd say so, that there is a lot of interest in, you know, a lot of us have that question, how can we work together to, to make this a little bit better? And, you know, we've seen it done in many different industries, how it works in cannabis is a little bit different in terms of, you know, how do businesses uh, form cooperatives and what are the benefits? Um, one of the things that I find really exciting about the survey and the results and the continued work here is just that there will hopefully be an avenue to provide support to folks wanting to form cooperatives. It's, it's a pretty tricky thing to be running your own business that is relatively new and simultaneously starting up another business, which is a cooperatively run business that has some of its own particularities. So, you know, knowing that in other industries, co-ops have been really helpful for the small operators to function and operate at scale and have higher margins. Um, there, there's a lot of interest in that. There's a lot of curiosity about how it's actually going to work and how do we get these things started. So, you know, at Uplift, we've done a lot of work in this direction and um, we see how much it takes and we'd really like other folks to be able to get on board and other cooperatives without having to, you know, necessarily go through all the all the hoops that we've had to go through. I want to take a just a little bit of a 
to step back and talk about co-ops in general. And I realize that there are many different forms and they perform different functions depending on which industry they're in and how they're organized. But can you just sort of broadly describe what a co-op is and how it differs from uh, a more traditional type of business? Yeah, so there's um, what we are as a producer's co-op. So in order to be a member of our cooperative, we're also geographically defined, but in order to be a member, you also have to have a valid cannabis cultivation license um, here in Humboldt County, and your residence or area of uh, business has to be within the Matola watershed. So that's how we define you know, who can be a member of Uplift. So, you know, it's different from a workers cooperative, for example, where the people who are owner members are the workers. So just to kind of back up a little bit with the producers co-op, what Uplift is, we're a nonprofit and that is we're in business for the profit of our membership. So the co-op itself doesn't take any profit. Any profit that the co-op gets it is actually, uh, it actually belongs to the members um, based on how much they use the co-op. So essentially, it's a tool that can allow, and this is why I think it's so important here in Humboldt County for the um, the craft producers, is it, it allows us to function at a higher level in, in the marketplace as well as uh, reducing our cost of production and increasing sales because we're at, able to access scale. And that's exactly the advantage that large corporate entities would have. Is, is, is that right? Is that the specific way that a co-op could help cultivators here in this area and smaller farmers all over the state actually compete not only in California, but looking down the road, if federal legalization happens, then you have uh, a whole other uh, transition period uh, economically coming on with more competition. So is, is being able to compete at scale the kind of the whole idea here? I think so, you know, and also to, to maintain the quality of our craft that, that we're used to providing. We want to accomplish both of those things through working together in cooperation. And I would add that by coming together and working together, it does uh, enable farmers to function at a higher scale, which gives them more uh, of an equal playing field in terms of competing against larger corporations. And it also enables farmers to really identify uh, the type of products that they're growing, the strains that they're growing, the link between what they're growing and the region where they're growing. And so that naturally leads towards uh, the development of regional appellations. As mentioned, one motivating factor behind the survey, and indeed for some behind co-ops themselves, is to make it possible for Humboldt's small-scale cultivators to withstand competition from much larger corporate entities. We wondered about the presence of such organizations in Humboldt. Is it likely that Humboldt County will see larger, more corporate operations move in, or are they more likely to be concentrated closer to bigger cities or where there's better transportation infrastructure and so forth? It's not only likely, but it's already happening. It's very well underway as we speak in many different directions from many different fronts. Humboldt County has a really powerful name, and um, there's a lot of corporate interest coming in to uh, to utilize that name. Uh, some folks, you know, have been using that name, you know, not even from here in Humboldt County. And there's been some businesses that have had to change their names because they were using Humboldt and yet operating out of a totally different geographic location. So it's, it's well underway. This is all part of that process of protecting the name and making sure that the value of that stays in the, the hands of the farmers that have built it. And, and in addition to that, I would also say that the uh, corporate, corporate uh, move happens 
in the supply chain. And so we're seeing a concentration of distributors and whoever controls the distribution channels has a big say in what product appears on retail shelves. So that's, again, a place where cooperatives can become a, uh, a force to leverage, uh, to decide what distributor or what fulfillment they, they use, and then they can control their sales, they can control the relationship to the retailers, and they can control um, the distribution. Does a co-op have anything to do with uh, helping to market the product that is produced by the cultivators who are members of a particular co-op with distributors or with dispensaries? Is there any, any marketing advantage to a co-op? Yeah, there, there certainly can be. Um, Uplift is, is moving in that direction, you know, just to kind of walk through it. You know, a 10,000 square foot farmer only has so many resources to devote towards all the practices of farming and managing their product and then also managing sales. So you get a few of those farms together who can market under one label that they all own together. And there's some additional work to carry there. But in the end, we think that, you know, if we can help support people through that process, that we can keep that value, um, you know, keep that brand owned by the farms, which is really what we're after is, you know, to not have folks have to be owned by other other entities that don't have our interests in mind. One of the great powers of a cooperative is the ability for the members of the cooperative to keep control of their post-harvest operations. And so there can be someone from the cooperative that uh, becomes the main person responsible for the sales for all the members of the cooperative. And that's just an example. And so there is definitely the possibility of the, the power of the group there. Is there any help or instruction out there available for people who want to form co-ops? How does an individual cultivator who's already busy go about moving in this direction? Well, um, we would encourage people who are interested if they could please uh, sign up and follow the work that we're doing to support that development. Um, we have a very simple sign-up place and it is, uh, I'll give the address, it's tinyurl.com slash cooperative cannabis. That's tinyurl.com slash cooperative cannabis. And that's one way that uh, a farmer can sign up and then follow the developments that our uh, group is working on to facilitate cooperatives. We'll continue our discussion about the role co-ops can play within the humble cannabis industry after a short break. Back with Nicole Riggs and Drew Barber in just a moment. This is the Humboldt Chronicles. Welcome back to the Humboldt Chronicles. We're speaking with Nicole Riggs, who's an affiliate researcher with the Center for the Study of Cannabis and Policy. And also with us is Drew Barber, who's with the Uplift Co-op in the Matole Valley. At what part in the uh, the whole supply chain do you see the most threat from uh, large corporate entities? Are you concerned about large corporate entities buying up land and getting into cultivation? Is it going to be distribution? Are they going to be in dispensaries? Where do you see the biggest potential competition from large corporate entities? That's a, it's kind of a tough one. I mean, I think it's happening in all places. A couple of years ago, I had a, a venture capitalist explain to me that cultivation sites were valued by venture capitalists at a one-to-one capital investment to return ratio, whereas all the other licenses were valued at a thousand-to-one investment to return ratio. I don't think those numbers quite played out for those folks, um, but I suspect that it's probably still, the the scale is still more or less the same. I suspect that cultivation is not exactly going to be the most sought-after license um, and that a lot of entities are going to be more interested in controlling the supply chain. 
But of course, in absence of a secured supply chain from the cultivator, then it doesn't really matter how much of a hold other entities have on the system. If the cultivators can work together and have a voice together, then we're just going to be less affected by those kinds of attempted manipulations of the marketplace. So, you know, that is another reason why personally I feel like it's really important for us as small farmers to organize and form these cooperative entities. And as farmers organize and form cooperative entities, then uh, they may be able to, for example, have a regional service center where the processing and packaging can be done. And at that point, the the role of a distributor uh, really disappears. And there is, of course, a need to go through the regulations. And so once the product has been packaged, then all, all that's needed is fulfillment to come and pick up the, uh, the product and deliver it to the various retailers across the state and perhaps ultimately across the country. So uh, cooperatives have provide the power to bypass uh, the holds that distributors right now have through no fault of their own simply because of the way the system is structured. So you're saying that the requirement for cultivators to use distributors to get their product to market, uh, as, I, as I understand it, the cultivator cannot go around the distributor. Is that right or wrong? Correct. So it is required to have a distribution license uh, for a variety of different reasons. Um, that was laid out by Prop 64, you know, thanks to some of the heavy lobbying by distributor corporations. So that's a required step in the process. But cultivators can own that entity and have that license as a co-op of cultivators. We can become our own distributor But we can also, if we choose to not be our own distributor, if we're united together, we can have a strong voice with our distribution companies. There's a lot of good distribution companies out there. Um, They're not all bad, but, you know, I think as cultivators, by banding together and keeping our voice, we'll just be in a better position well into the future. So we don't have to have all these market swings and don't have to be at the at the whims of an external business that has external interests. So given the requirements that you go through distribution, a co-op helps out with that potentially, right? Yeah, I mean, it helps in the sense that the co-op can have its own distribution license and it also helps in that it can simplify that relationship with the distributor and it can help the farmer's voice be heard. You know, if if the distributor's not operating on the farm's best interest, then a group of farms together have a stronger voice with that distribution company than a single farm who could just be written off. And to weigh in on this and to clarify my comment earlier, um, it's also possible to think of distributors as service centers. And so in that sense, the farmers stay very engaged or the cooperative stays very engaged and uh, observe the quality standards uh, that are being practiced by the distributor and remain engaged with what's happening in terms of the sales process and knowing who their final retail customers are. That's, again, another strength of the cooperative is that as uh, one group is able to keep its uh, its finger on the pulse uh, of the supply chain. Yeah, Nicole, and, that, and that's really an important piece as we move into the conversation of Appalachians. You know, as the farms really care about the quality of their product, not only does it matter where it's being processed, uh, you know, another place 
that there's a there's another license required there to process cannabis. And, you know, that's something that a cooperative can have. A cooperative can have that processing license so that it can process the product of its members. And then the members can keep a better handle, like Nicole's saying, a better track of the quality of the product that's coming out. So it really represents that farm. You know, that the way it's set up right now into very compartmentalized sections from, you know, the grower grows its product and then sends it to the distributor and the distributor, she puts it in a bag and checks on quality and then takes it to the retail shop and the retail shop, well, she checks it out and says, okay, this will go on the shelf. And then um, the, the farmer doesn't have a lot of say in how that product is presented and, and what it looks like in the end to the consumer. And none of those roles really existed pre-regulation. We did pretty good by getting the product to the consumer and having a really high quality product. So we're, we're definitely excited about holding that connection with the consumer and holding that kind of quality that we're in charge of because it's coming from our farm. With resources for most small farmers already stretched thin and shrinking profit margins, Humboldt County's cultivators face a daunting task when it comes to competing with much larger and more well-funded organizations. Forming and participating in co-ops might be beneficial to cultivators, especially here in Humboldt County. So we asked Drew Barber about the state of co-op development locally. One thing that is becoming more and more clear to me as we've as we've done these shows and we've looked at these issues is that there are difficulties that exist specifically in the cannabis industry that may not be present in other industries. It's heavily regulated. It's taxed more than a lot of other industries. There are specific distribution channel requirements. I'm, I'm wondering if the, the way that the cannabis industry in California is structured will allow it to compete, especially if federal legalization occurs and there's competition from other states. Are we existing in an industry structure that's unsustainable? That's a that's a great question. I, I think the answer is probably yes, unfortunately. I mean, we'll see how everything plays out, but we're seeing some examples of that right now um, from the CBD world, for example. And the CBD is basically, for all intents and purposes, exactly the same as THC producing cannabis. And, um, you know, without a test, there's really no way to determine any difference between the two plants. And so there's the CBD market, which is essentially unregulated, and then the THC market, which is extremely regulated. And so, unfortunately, there's there's a lot of people growing, you know, what are reportedly CBD crops, but they're, you know, bringing those into the THC market. There was a newspaper article about that recently. So, yeah, as the regulations in different states roll out in different ways, we're definitely going to see some challenges like that. There's going to be a lot of states, I think, that are a lot less regulated than California. Um, and they, you know, may end up having an advantage in that way if, if, if we can hang on to our Humboldt name and continue to produce the highest quality products possible and, and stay in business, then I think we have a chance because those folks probably aren't going to be producing the kind of quality we've been producing all these years, but they'll get better at it. <laughs> They're on their way. Are there efforts at the state level to try to influence legislation or change the regulations to provide a role for co-ops within the regulatory structure? So 
in terms of policy, um, there is in a trade association in Humboldt County, the Humboldt County Growers Alliance, which is very strong and truly representative of its members, over 275 licensed cultivators, I believe. And um, they have worked to fight for policies that would be more supportive uh, and more empowering of cooperatives. I don't know that there are many efforts right now at the state level. Our hope is that with this research and the findings, um, that we will have from the research once it's completed, then there will be solid evidence and data documentation that shows what the ideal co-ops could look like and where the regulations exactly need to be um, changed to really empower farmers to work cooperatively. And this is this is kind of coming out of Prop 64. Like when we as voters approved Prop 64, there was language in there that said, hey, we, this is going to be a process that's supportive of the small farm. And um, that... You know, making that a reality is quite a challenge when we talk about California agriculture. There's very few pieces about how California agriculture works that's supportive of the small operator. So this is a way for, you know, what voters voted on in Prop 64 to get the wheels on the ground and get that functioning in terms of supporting the small operators. We'll take a peek into the future next as we discuss ways the broad interest in co-ops might be fulfilled. But we'll also cast a glance over our shoulders and recall the cooperative nature that has existed within the Humboldt cannabis community for decades. The Humboldt Chronicles continues in just a moment. Welcome back to the Humboldt Chronicles. For the final segment of our program tonight, we asked our guests what the future holds or what they hope it holds for co-ops in Humboldt and the cannabis economy more broadly. Along the way, we recalled the spirit of cooperation and sharing that has always been a hallmark of the Humboldt cultivator community. Nicole, do you plan to go even further beyond phase two of the research? Do you do you look out on the horizon and see uh, other issues you want to delve into? Well, that's a great question. I, if I feel that the development of cooperatives in the cannabis industry in Humboldt is one example of how to innovate in a social and economic sense. And the way that we are approaching this uh, innovation is, is through a process called human-centered design, which means that we start by trying to understand what the problem is exactly and really digging deep and listening to those that are um, at the heart of it, which is cultivators, and seeing what they think would be the solutions. Um, I believe that the ones that are immersed in the problem are actually the ones most qualified to come up with a solution. So as we go into the interviews and start to get advice from legal experts on the regulations, um, then the next thing to do will be to put together a couple of possible frameworks for cannabis cooperative uh, infrastructures um, and then to test these possible frameworks and then to develop an actual uh, program that can offer technical and organizational assistance for the development of cannabis co-ops. One last thought on that. Uh, I, I like your description there, Nicole, of, of speaking with the cultivators because they're the ones who are likely to have good ideas about what needs to be done or, or even not uh, to be done. There's a, a concept in public policy where uh, you sometimes suggest that uh, the problems created by politics can't be solved at the level of politics. They have to bubble up from below. And that's kind of what you're describing, if I'm hearing yes. that right. Yes, absolutely. I think that um, that concept, Chuck, that you're talking about, about uh, the information bubbling up from down below, it, it, the reason that's so important here when we talk about Humboldt County's economy is that the advantage that Humboldt County has 
both in the California marketplace and the global marketplace, is our quality of product and the name of Humboldt County that we've built over the years. We've built that name based on the efforts of many small farms, ultimately, and you know, that's what we're trying to continue and that's what we're trying to secure into this broader marketplace is the ability of those small operators to continue to, to produce that kind of quality and that the Humboldt County name will still hold value. And so, so this effort of forming cooperatives, personally, I see it as a real strong advantage for our Humboldt County's cannabis economy. It really, it goes right all the way down to that to help us compete in that global marketplace. Yeah, I think, Drew, you could you could argue that the institutional knowledge in this industry, in this county or in this region, uh, goes all the way back to the 1960s, and that's worth a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And, and many, many small farms since the 80s have worked together. People have shared information. People have shared tools. We really have a, a very generous sharing economy out here, um, and cannabis has played a huge role in that. And so have some of our other industries where people have gotten together over the years to work together on their various projects, the agricultural projects. But forming co-ops is not is a new thing for a lot of us. It's not something that we just kind of come to, to growing cannabis uh, with the knowledge of. And so it's really helpful to have some kind of support to be successful in that arena. That's really interesting to me. I mean, if you think of kind of the, the way that cannabis farming has worked in, in Humboldt County over the years, it's always had something of a cooperative nature. And so it, it feels like establishing co-ops in this regulated era is is a process of kind of taking something that's very, very well known and very familiar to farmers and just putting it in a more structured context. Yeah, I think so, Larry. I think that that really is it. And, you know, there's there is a lot of ground to cover that's not familiar, um, you know, in terms of the legal components of how co-ops function and in terms of how co-ops interface with the regulations. That's a really tricky one. It's hard to really understand how regulations will affect co-ops. Usually they're not really written with co-ops in mind. They're really written for individual businesses. But then once you start asking questions about, well, what if it's a, a group of already licensed cultivators? Do they need to get these additional licenses? And the former BCC, now DCC, Department of Cannabis Control, they sort of have to think a little harder about those questions and how the regulations affect cooperatives. And so do we. As farmers, you know, we really got to rethink how we do things in some ways. But the interest and the spirit, like you're saying, Larry, it's already there. And, you know, that's a lot of what makes Humboldt humble, right? Like, we're a pretty dispersed community in the county where we have all of these small villages throughout the hills. And, you know, those small villages have required services that are provided by volunteers. And those volunteers are most often, you know, participating in the cannabis economy. We need that. We need the the folks who are capable of serving on the fire departments and the school boards and all the different nonprofits. And we need to really bridge that connection between the regulated cannabis economy and the social interest components of the county hey, you know, we need some extra money for the school this year, so let's put in a, a patch for the school. That's, that's a Humboldt County tradition, you know, people working together to grow weed to provide a service for their community. And so we just want to keep keep that tradition alive, And um, but it has to be in this new form now. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask. This edition of the Humboldt Chronicles will be posted soon at 941lounge.com, lostcoastoutpost.com, and at iTunes for listening and downloading. Thanks to our guests, Nicole Riggs of the Center for the Study of Cannabis and Policy and to Drew Barber of the Uplift Co-op. 
And we send much appreciation to our sponsors, Savage Henry Comedy Club and Goat Global Humboldt. We'll be back with the Humboldt Chronicles at 6 p.m. on the third Wednesday of November. So we'll see you next time, November the 17th at 6 p.m.